episode 42 of the Improvised Music Agenda podcast. Who we hear there is our guest this week, Jeremiah Zimmerman. Let's hear some more. Cool, thanks for joining in again and welcome one and all. How are we all coping with the lockdown slash quarantine slash whatever we want to call it? Uh, aye. So, yeah, it's a shame. All the live things have stopped happening. Well, for a while now. I think my last gig was a month today. And I'm recording this intro on the 16th of April. And, yeah, strange vibes. I don't know. I don't think there's any more I can add to the whole thing than what's already being talked about. But sorry it's taken me so long to get this conversation out. Any listeners with kids will understand how kind of full-on childcare and homeschooling during this time is. And yeah, so unfortunately I've been not been able to put as much time into the podcast. But here I am now. Uh, the little one's gone to bed and yeah, I could go into the garage and do my thing. Before I mention more about Jeremiah, uh, I thought I'd mention the patreon page so yeah if you want to help out especially now with the cost of the podcast because as a musician i have lost a hell of a lot of work and you know finances can be a bit tough but uh yeah so if you want to chip in to the patreon page you can do so i'll put a link in the description all the money will go to the podcasting hosting stuff and yeah so i'm not quite breaking even with that yet but with your help if you've got the money spare, that would be great if you can chip in. Absolutely brilliant. Really, if you could. But if you don't have any money to chip in, uh, obviously totally understandable. Uh, you can still help by giving a nice review on iTunes, Spotify, or however you listen to your podcasts, and share them. Let's uh, get more listeners. You know, uh, yeah. More people listening is always a great thing because it shows, yeah, I don't know. If we get more people listening to this music, it's uh, it's only good. Right, Jeremiah Zimmerman. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this podcast uh, will know his name because he ran a really incredible podcast, which is probably the main reason I'm doing this, my, my own podcast, called The 5049 Podcast which is also the name of his record label. So, Jeremiah, so he is a clarinetist, uh, improviser, and works a lot with electronics, as well as his podcasting stuff going on. Yeah, so uh, it was great to interview Jeremiah. So when I emailed him to ask if he was up for it, uh, he got back really quickly, and yeah, I'm really glad he did. Because, yeah, I mean, like, he is probably the reason why this podcast exists. Uh, If you've not checked out his podcast, uh, pause this and go to his archive. So I think he released 215 or 216 episodes originally. So I think there was, like, a couple of runs of the podcast. And, yeah, some great interviews there. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the reason I've got him on here, because uh, I've heard him talking about music a lot, but yeah, unlike when he's been interviewing people, but I thought it'd be great to interview him and hear his thoughts, and yeah, well, kind of, there's a chance to meet him as well. So yeah, we recorded this over 
FaceTime and recorded uh, each end of a microphone. But so on my end, I have to apologize. I didn't really use headphones with a FaceTime thing. So the sound might be a bit funny, but uh, I hope that you can uh, forgive me for that. Uh, yeah, but anyway, I think it's, it's audible. It's fine. It's all good. It nearly sounds like we're in the same room with a slight echo. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so Jeremiah, he released a record about a month ago now on his band camp called Cathedral. And it's a collection of well, solo clarinet pieces, which he has mixed himself and added, well, added some sound design to it, which sound incredible. And yeah, we talk a bit about that and various things. But yeah, so yeah, please do check his music out, his podcast out, his record label. He has a lot of releases on there, which uh, yeah, we kind of go into some of them in the interview. And yeah, but yeah, if you want to go to also the Patreon of his page, so which have some of the older podcast episodes. Uh, yeah, so go and check those out. And he has just started putting out some new podcasts uh, called The Corona Cast, but that's on the 5049 channel. So it's a slightly different setup of the interview, but uh, it's really great. He's put out two so far, with one with Toby Driver and the other with Charlie Looker. And they're kind of crowd-sourced questions. Uh, but yeah, go and have a listen. And yeah, so he's got some great guests lined up with that. And yeah, if you've got any questions, uh, yeah, send them in to him. Uh, yeah, they're all good. They're all very good. Anyway, less of my waffling now. Uh, here's the interview with Jeremiah. Dude, th- thanks so much for making time for it, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks for getting in touch. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, but no, I was just thinking. So in terms of like where to start, like with the the new record that you put out. Oh, so yeah, Cathedral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, it's, it's killer. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks, man. In terms of that like, solo music, so which release is that? Is that like the third or fourth one you've put out of solo music? Yeah, it's um, it's the fourth one. Yeah. The oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. With the whole conception of the solo thing, because because I know like from listening to your podcast, like you were saying like where you were when you first did that first solo gig mm-hmm. compared to now, it's like how how do you feel like it's kind of grown? Uh, uh well, I mean, in in many ways, uh, I mean, I, I I don't know when the the peak flattens, but um definitely with age become a better musician and hopefully that will continue to be the case until at some point like i said the peak will flatten uh but definitely um ideas that i kind of started working with back then uh in 2000 i think the first time i played solo was in 2005 2005 yeah so i would have been 25 years old and um you know you could hear like when i think i actually have those recordings and when i think back to that you know, there were definitely a lot of the kernels that I was working with, you know, are, are definitely more like realized versions of, of ideas I had then. Um, and it's just a lot more fluid, you know, and it's and it's a lot more personal. It's, you know, uh, the language that that feels more nuanced and more like my own rather than, you know, in this moment I'm trying to do 
this Evan Parker thing or this, um, you know, Zorn thing or whatever it is. Because I guess like the electronics thing has been mm-hmm. a part of it. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess like you've been using that hardware rather than in the computer kind of thing or like pedals and stuff, I mean. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so has that been a part of it since the very beginning? Yeah. It's less, okay. it's, it's less a part of it now. Uh, it's definitely, and I'd like it to be even less. Uh, and slowly, slowly, I'm kind of getting to where it's, you know, hopefully, you know, I'm just, I don't know, I'm looking for some change right now. And I don't really feel the same inspiration in a lot of the electronic stuff as I once did. Right, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, but no, no, it's, it's, it's great, like, with the, from listening to Cathedral, kind of hearing, uh, it's like, even, uh, how to describe it? Like, you, you know, the kind of, like, subharmonics of each note or the kind of uh the the other notes that excited by the stuff mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like kind of some sympathetic string kind of stuff on the yeah clarinet. definitely i Does mean that like, makes sense yeah i mean i've you know one the one uh, um like sonically when it comes to like presenting an idea the sound of space is super important to me and i use like all my mixes you know i'm a mix engineer too i use lots of reverb um and it's not just like oh it's it's a vibe it's spooky like it's actually very much part of the musical idea to have notes sort of sit on top of each other and to use the the decay time as part as the part of the composition so yeah absolutely what you're saying that those those notes that linger around that's that's part of it it wouldn't be that music without that sound presentation for sure, yeah, yeah. No, because I always think that with uh, playing some rooms, like especially because I play double bass and stuff. Yeah. So, so this kind of where, like you know, there's some situations where I feel I can not be through an amp if I'm s- stood in the right place mm-hmm. compared to everyone else in terms of balance. But I mean, that maybe that's just a volume thing. But in terms of, you know, what to play as well, I suppose, isn't it? It's kind of yeah. If you're improvising, kind of whether, you know, obviously more reverb there is in the space naturally mm-hmm. the less that you you want to play i suppose isn't it but for me yeah i mean i'm sure that's maybe not the case for others but you know especially you know with improvising um whether it's group improvisation or solo improvisation like once you've done it long enough you know once you've been improvising for you know 10 20 30 years like you kind of want and hope for things to happen that are completely out of your control because that, you know that's becomes one you know that's how you keep it interesting um and so if you play if you have a room that you know kind of talks back then you know you've already got ideas that you can start to go after right straight away yeah totally yeah yeah because um that's no, amazing seeing like some musicians dealing with rooms especially like oh what's the one i'm thinking of like uh so there was this venue in london called uh was it Concelebar? Okay. But it's just like this little kind of like uh this pub, but underneath it was just like a tiny room. Uh like it's like a wine cellar, but they kind sure. of changed it into a venue. But uh so Jim Black was over playing. Oh great. But it's interesting seeing him playing there. Uh, mm-hmm. kind of uh how he treated everything in comparison to the whole room. So, you know, like uh someone we had like towels on top of the symbols at some point. Yeah. You know, just, just yeah, just for the sake of the balance of things, because you know, like if you hit a ride symbol too hard in certain spaces, then it becomes, I don't know. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, this past summer, um, a couple friends and I, I was, I was in LA, and we went to the comedy store to see some comedy. And the comedy store is, uh, it, 
the the room that we're in is, is very small. It holds maybe a hundred people, and you know, famously they have people like fa- very famous comedians will drop in and you know work out material. Um, and we happen to be there, uh, and Ali Wong, this comedian who's very, I don't know if she's known over in the UK, but very famous, very successful here in, in the States. Uh, she dropped in and she did about 15 minutes. And to us anyway, it was very clear that she does not know how to adapt her act for a smaller room. She was doing the exact, she was like, you know, like a tell, she did not communicate with the hundred people that were right in her face. She, and it, it was, you know, it was kind of an interesting lesson, which is, you know, it, you have to play the room that you're in. You know, I wouldn't, there's a lot of stuff I'll do live in like a, a large kind of comfortable room that if I try to pull it off, you know, in, in a pub or, or a small room, it would just come across as very sort of disconnected from the, the actual moment. Totally. Yeah, 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 definitely. But, um, yeah, but but it's interesting, like you bring up the whole comedy thing because I'm mm-hmm. sure there's like loads of parallels with that with oh, yeah. like improvised music and the whole jazz thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. What's there, like, there's oh, a guy over there in the UK called uh, Stuart Lee. Do you know him? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a huge, He's... huge fan and uh, celebrates improvised music. That's right. Have you seen? Um, oh, what's that show? Mastermind. You know, there's one him answering questions and. Uh, I, I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. Pretty funny. Years, yeah, years ago, Evan Parker sent an email to Stuart Lee and I to introduce us. He was sort of like, Stuart, meet Jeremiah. He's a musician, loves comedy. Stuart, oh, wow. uh, Jeremiah, meet Stuart. He's a comedy, he's, he's a comedian, loves music. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. That's great. So, so, so if you get like a bit of an email chain happening. No, nah, I, I didn't pursue. I, I don't know. I, sh- I don't know why I didn't. It would have been like a really interesting conversation to have. Yeah, yeah. Because no, I know he's done some um, master classes in some of the jazz colleges here uh-huh like like when he's interviewing evan parker yeah and yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of uh yeah it's quite funny like apparently like Stuart lee's get like super nervous Re- yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He would with evan parker you know, that's really of. funny yeah yeah but um yeah but but it's interesting because I've, I've chatted to lots of people like with uh how they take form mm-hmm. like from Stuart lee kind of how he does his act because i know because have you seen any of his live stuff? Yeah, uh, never a full set. I've watched clips, but I've never watched like a like a solid hour. Right, yeah, because um, yeah, but, but it's, it's interesting how he uses like some of the callbacks and stuff. Uh huh. Yeah, some of the musician friends they've kind of read because he had a book where he's like uh, breaking down loads of his routines, and yeah, and you know people have used those as like some like compositional ideas or ideas to like improvise over and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite interesting, but but then yeah, but I don't know. But, it, but it's like pretty big world though. The whole comedy thing, I guess, isn't it? It's kind of yeah. There's all you know, like there's so many different little like scenes and sub scenes, and it's funny. Like I'm at a place now where the only stuff I find funny anymore is like this very select handful of like super underground dudes that oh, are yeah. just like not you know the 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 tastefulness or lack of in their act is like very alienating to most people. <laughs> Yeah, you you big like Mark Maron fan? Uh, at one point, yeah, it's gotten. I I still I I will check in with his podcast if there's a interesting guest on. Um, but his whole thing has kind of grown a little, a little tiresome for me. I watched his newest special and I just found it. I think I turned it off after like twenty minutes. I just found it super irritating and sort of like, 
I don't know. It's it's funny. Like uh, it, I just don't find his perspective and the perspective of a lot of the people, like comedians, like in his position. You know, people who are like in their forties and fifties and just kind of taking like really soft stances and takes on things like just very like down the middle blue state um there's just like nothing dangerous about it anymore <laughs> it's all very sort of like milk toast like solidly democratic and i i think i need something a little more subversive or at least like dangerous totally yeah yeah but uh, specials are watching that was a bit like that uh david cross yeah yeah he's great because i think Seeing some of his stuff, I just felt a bit like, oh, God, can you say that? It's like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A bit, yeah, I can't remember. There was something we was talking about, like, guns or something. How it's uh, like, kind of, it's, it's like some weird, did he start the joke, like, being pro-gun, but kind of. Well, I mean, you know, I get super weirded out by, and I get more and more, and I, there's definitely a parallel here between, you know, culture and comedy and, and, and music, like, with just straight away no questioning a like group think i'm just it it gives me the honest to goodness creeps and uh you know gun ownership is like a perfect example like especially right now in new york like i don't know how anti-gun i am right <laughs> like that's that's not even a hot take you know like i don't know if that's an expression they use in the uk hot take Maybe, but like right, that's yeah. not even a hot take it's just yeah it'd be kind of cool to be armed right now yeah, yeah. Because wasn't that I heard a thing? Isn't there like loads of panic buying of guns there? The well, moment? I mean, you you can't buy a gun in New York where I live. Like, right, okay. You know, the you'd have to you know buy one out of state and sneak it in. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty of people doing that. And yes, in the United States, definitely people are panicking. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. Ah, but but it's funny the whole yeah, but the whole situation at the moment yeah, like how they're. The panic buying thing. There's like everyone's like the toilet rolls going, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I I kind of a few weeks prior to uh, to the lockdown, like you know, three four weeks ago, I kind of had a sense that that this might be happening, and so every day I started sort of like squirreling. Like on my way home, I'd pick up you know six cans of this and a five pound bag of that, and so by the time the lockdown started, I was fully stocked up on everything. Um, you know, the drag now for me and a lot of people I know is I no longer have a source of income. Yeah, it's weird, like, the kind of when all the gigs just, like, got cancelled. Well, everything, yeah. I mean, I... In one go mm-hmm. last week. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it's funny, like, um, yeah, because there's a bunch of stuff. I was meant to go to Europe for a bit, and then, yeah, it's just, like, kind of, unfortunately, got, well, it got cancelled, yeah. I mean, it's probably for the best that it did get cancelled, I guess. Well, definitely, but, yeah. definitely, yeah. Um, but it's... Uh, yeah, but it's weird, though, isn't it? It's kind of, but I guess it's the one thing that makes you feel better is like at least like we're all in the same boat in terms of I hope so. finding ways around that. But then the scary thing is, yeah, I don't know. It's like when there's like no income coming in at all, because luckily I've got some students online and stuff. But I guess yeah. So so, so, so how, how how's it worked out your side? Is it like kind of everything stopped because yeah, with like your work and stuff. It's it's done. I mean, um, you know, I make money. I you know, I'm I'm much more. I'm I'm in a an infinitely less precarious situation than a lot of people I know. Um, you know, I've got you know a savings account. I've got insurance. I've got you know things that most people. You know, I'm, I do two things for a living. I make music and I work in restaurants. And in both those situations, you know, restaurant people 
and musicians tend to have really horrific life skills when it comes to to planning and saving and things like that. Um, so, you know, like I said, I'm in a much better position than a lot of people I know. But yeah, I don't have my. I went from pretty solid uh, income that I could rely on. You know, very very, and it's just it's gone. That's it. Oh man, that's that's mad. Yeah, but, I mean. Yeah, but hopefully should be all right on the other side, I guess. I don't know, but we'll see what happens, I suppose. Yeah. Going back further with um, music and stuff. Mm-hmm. So wh- when did you first start kind of uh, getting into like playing? W- was your first instrument, was it electric bass? Mm-hmm. Yeah, electric bass when I was oh, maybe 12, I think, 12 years old. Oh, right, sure, okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then so- I s- sorry, go ahead. No, no, it was just gas. Like, so, so, how how did you kind of get onto the, onto that? Was it like through like older siblings, kind of? Uh, through a band called Primus that you may know. Yes, <laughs> fucking right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just became absolutely obsessed with Primus when I was about twelve, and um, uh, I just begged my mom, like, I need a bass, an electric bass, like, I need to do what that guy's doing. You know, that was like uh, the, that music was the only thing I cared about for a solid three or four years. Age like twelve to sixteen, like you know, I, I would have done anything for Primus, <laughs> <laughs> which is like you know, kind of embarrassing to think back on. But it just it is what it is, you know. And yeah, do do you ever go like that deep to get like a six string fretless? No, no. Fortunately, oh, okay. the the <laughs> it wore off before it got to that point. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I think I started, you know, to re- to require a bit more uh, substance and soul from music. I mean, I still, whatever, yeah. Primus is still, it's Primus. It's like, it's a very specific yeah, thing. And, um, you know, they're great. But, you know, it, when it comes to like, you know, the music that, you know, speaks to, to my innermost, you know, vulnerable self, yeah. it's, it's not, you know, Jerry was a race car driver. Yeah, like like similar thing with me, but like I had that obsession with like Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> okay. for ages. I was like, yeah, yeah, like I, w- I wanted to be Flea. Yeah, but uh, better. But you, you know when you kind of like try and find the thread of like bands that are similar, or, or you know like when you sure. hear about bass players. Yeah, but yeah, like hearing about Les Claypool, but not being able to get hold of a Primer CD in North Wales. Oh, oh, really? So to, so to pretend to like <laughs> huh. hear them for ages, you know? And then wow. Yeah. How old then are you? F- f- eventually find the CDs. Yeah. You know, like order them in f- through the record shop and stuff. But yeah. How old are you? I'm 29. Okay. No. So, yeah. But, but I guess like where I grew up was like kind of... Uh, kind of remote. 10 years in the past <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. But but yeah. So, so, but yeah. But I remember that. So like being obsessed with uh, Chili Peppers. But then finding out about Primus. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, when you hear like that, all that atonal-ish type things. Sure. And then, uh, then what was after that, Mr. Bungle? Well, yeah, that, so that's that, that's it. Like that, that that was a real turning point. That that's yeah. There's you know I've talked about this with a lot of uh, musicians that are kind of around my age here. Um, there was so there's mo- there's the the sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure it was called Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and when when that soundtrack came out, everyone had it, and that soundtrack, like that's where I heard Primus for the first time. Um, and that's where I got really into Faith No More. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, and so a lot of people I know for us, it's like, yeah, that 
that is like an or I mean, there's a lot of shitty shit on the soundtrack too. There's like Slaughter is on it, and I think Winger is on it. Um, right. I forget who else. Like a lot of hair metal, but oh, uh, K- Kiss is on it. Um, but yeah, so then I got really into Faith No More, and then like very quickly, my brother's, uh, my older brother's friend was like, "Well, if you like Faith No More, you should listen to this guy's other band." Uh, and yeah, very quickly, it's just like, well, I went down that, and then that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh man. Yeah. But yeah, that's it's incredible that music. I remember, I think someone like burnt a CD for, of it for me, you know. But uh, but anyway, I remember taking it to my uh, bass teacher. But it's funny, like when I was like, oh, I was like fourteen. But yeah, what's what's that third track off that? Uh, off the give fir- a dog a boner, baby. Well, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's funny taking that along and just. Mm-hmm. This teacher just being like totally confused, is like, what the fuck's this? Like, you know, yeah, yeah, it's very unusual like, music. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, but yeah, but I mean, that stuff lies open so much. Yeah, listening for me as well, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. At yeah. that age, I mean, it, it's a very common tale, and you know, I remember. Um. Uh. So you know, after I was like nineteen or something, and. You know, a friend of mine, you know, had put me on to John Zorn, and that was like not such a huge leap to go from Bungle to Zorn. But then I remember going to the this record store um, where I knew the guy, and I, I said, "I what was I trying to get? I was trying to get. Uh, I think I think he was like I was trying to get the first Phantomas record, and he he was like." have you listened to Naked City yet? And I said, no. And he's like, well, you can't buy this Phantom Us record until you've listened to Naked City. And so I began to take the Naked City record. He's like, but you can't listen to Naked City until you've listened to Ornette Coleman. And I ended up leaving the store with an Ornette Coleman CD. And I was like, how the f- like, how did this just happen? I went in there to buy a metal record. And I left with some fucking jazz quartet, uh, which was like a totally foreign leap. But, you know... It that stuff, you know, very quickly became like, you know, what I just was immediately. It was it was it went from being like obsessed by like one band or like two bands to just being obsessed by this world that was way bigger than anything I could conceive of. And you know, you began to began to look at like the out jazz sections of record stores, and you're just like, what is all this shit? All these guys with these crazy names that I can't pronounce, and like. You know, it's just the world of that world is absolutely enormous. Oh man, yeah, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Like, um, yeah, but yeah, but like same thing here. Like, I remember kind of coming across that, and then finding out about Naked City somehow. Yeah, through after that, yeah, through that first Bungle record. Because I mean, it's fine. I, I can't, I can't stand to listen to that shit now. Like the the Bungle, I still love, but like you know, Naked City, like it's just it, it, it's it it definitely is an oracle that for so many of us really cracked this world open. But just in terms of like a pure listening experience now, I, there's like, they they made that yeah. record absinthe, which is like astounding, um, absinthe and heretic, but the rest of it's like pretty cringe, you know? Yeah. But I, I, I guess with that music, it feels like that, it's like that shock factor, you know, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. Especially that exactly. age is the thing that you crave, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, but yeah, but like, but think that did Zorn produce that first Bungle record? Yeah, um, yes, yes. Uh, it was more of like a, a a mix thing, but yeah. All right, sure. Okay. Yeah, cool, he yeah. wasn't but, like um, in the studio when they tracked it. Right. Okay. Yeah. But um, come on. But did, so, you, did you get to see Bungle when they did the reunion? Yeah, I saw him. Um, oh, back, dude, yeah, like a month it? ago. What's that? Uh, 
How, how was it? Was it? It was super fun. I mean, you know, I, I've got, you know, now like, you know, I'm friends with Trevor and Trey and I can say that like watching Trevor uh, during that reunion show, I, I've never seen him look so happy on stage before. Really amazing. Yeah. I mean, they were playing with like, you know, they were playing the thrash songs that they wrote when they were teenagers with the guys, you know, Scott Ian and Dave Lombardo who like helped, you know, define that music. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, but that's incredible. But yeah, but it's, it's funny because I had um, uh, when Trevor was in London last year, mm-hmm. I think it was with Dan Weiss's band. But yeah, so 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 I took a lesson with him. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, but but yeah, but it's amazing that like, how much music he knows and kind of yeah, that guy lives it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like all these different places it comes from. But yeah, but um, but yeah, it's funny. But at the end of the lesson, I just had to think like, ah, oh, fuck, I, I'm gonna do the whole gushing thing. Like, yeah, Mister Bungle's the best thing in the world, man. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's probably uh-huh. stuff he's heard like a million times before from everyone. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's so funny. Like I've talked about this with Trevor, and I've talked about this with Trey. But like, you know, for anyone who grew up in like a small town where like you know you feel like an alien, you feel like you know you just don't fit in. Like, which is a lot of us. That was certainly the case with Trevor, Mike, and Trey, and those three guys. You know, literally helped invent like five different kinds of music. They left their small town and, you know, made this band that was whatever it was. And you talk to anyone under the age of 45 who's out there doing this shit. And they're like, yeah, it all goes back to that. Yeah, totally. But it's, yeah, it's amazing. Just let the thread of it, isn't it? But yeah. Um, yeah. But um, yeah. But so thinking out. So when you picked up the clarinet. Yeah. So so was that kind of roughly around the time you were still playing the bass? So was that? Yeah, well, I I kind of lost interest in the bass, and I had um, uh, I I began to get my hands on some like electronic instruments, um, like some synth. I had a, a theremin. I got some other shit, and uh, I I found a clarinet. It's kind of a long story, but my mother basically she came into possession of. How can I say it? Like a wom- uh, a friend of hers, um, uh, joined a cult, and right. part <laughs> of like her leaving to join this cult was to get rid of everything she owned, and so right. she basically called my mom up and was like, "I'm going out to Big Sur, which is in California. Like my house, take everything from my house, otherwise, you know, whatever." So we had just had like right. all this shit from her friend, and like I found a clarinet one day and asked my mom if I could have it. She said, yeah, start playing it. And like, it just, you know, it, it's, you know, once I started like getting a sound on it and, you know, producing notes, it just, it just like the physical sensation of playing a woodwind instrument made so much more sense straight away than the physical sensation of, of playing the bass. It just, before I could even really communicate with the thing, it just felt like, oh, this is, you know, what my body is asking me to, to make music with. Right. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. but so so wasn't like any influence from hearing someone playing it before. Was it just it the was, feeling of it? It was a lot of concurrent stuff. Like I, I still remember like um, going as a kid, as a very small child, like five years old, to a symphony concert. And uh, you know when you hear the the orchestra tuning up uh, yeah. before the concert, it's like that's the best part of the concert. Like, it sounds yeah. so cool. Like this like weird like atonal you know. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, very quickly I was like playing his clarinet and it was like, not only, um, does it feel good to play, 
uh, and it could potentially open up this world into this like crazy jazz shit that I'm checking out. But the clarinet specifically, certainly more than like the saxophone or um, you know the the trumpet, maybe uh, immediately is like evocative of that world of of classical music, which is like you know when you get into like 20th century uh composition it's a 21st century composition it's like that's the scariest shit there is the good stuff anyway yeah you know um totally yeah, yeah. like at some point you know and like you know my first love is metal and it's still like something i listen to quite a lot of but like you know when you're really craving like an intense overwhelming musical experience it's like quite frequently what you want is Zanakis or chelsea not you know cannibal corpse which is great but that's yeah exactly yeah yeah uh, so the cl- um, so the clarinet very quickly opened like these three vistas to me. You know, I could improvise with it. Uh, it has this like just inherently very scary sound. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, but so so did that inform like your listening from then on? Mm-hmm. Or, or so so like we we kind of like nerding out over like clarinetists and stuff. Uh, I mean, I've never, re- I mean, it wasn't until I was in my 30s, really, that I started doing that. But, you know, there is a magazine that you might know in the UK called The Wire. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which I, I have not looked at The Wire in I don't know how many years. But, um, you know, at that same time that I was getting, like, super excited about, like, this these alternative musics, whether it's, you know, like, free jazz or, you know, free improvised music. The, the the same guys at the record store who were like turning me on to all this stuff they're like you should read this magazine it's called the wire like you could really learn like a about a lot of cool stuff in here so i started reading the wire and you know not you know the wire puts all these musics together you know side by side the stuff there or at least back then i, I think now it's a little more like you know something that i'm not going to comment on but It'd be page after page reviews of like you know crazy twentieth century music, free jazz, electronic music, ambient music, reggae, like all this stuff. And so to like someone like myself, I was like, oh, I guess just like if you're gonna be into one of these things, you have to be into all these things. So I'd go to record stores and I would buy Zanakis and I would buy Chelsea and I would buy Ornette and Pharaoh and I would buy um, Aphex Twin, you know, and really I was just like gobbling all this stuff up. Um, uh, which is like it's insane to like try you know because ultimately if you're a musician it's like at some point you realize a, a big reason that you listen to music is to sort of like keep understanding how you're going to make your own music you know more clearly and it's like to try and take in all that shit and somehow internalize it is crazy yeah no no totally yeah yeah but but no, it's, it's quite interesting though like but like going to that point you were saying about how like even kind of like technical metal uh-huh. can share the same sort of feeling as like you'd get from listening to like Zanakis or uh-huh. all in that world. Yeah, yeah. But but uh, um yeah, but I guess that crystallizes it with wire. But oh but what's one example someone who marries that in like a really great way. Like there's another like Gorgut's tune mm-hmm. yeah. of Obscura. You know the one with strings? Of course. Yeah. And they made the strings sound like like but, really perfect. With yeah, that. I mean but Gorgut's to me is like a great example of Yes, the music is really, really smart and and well crafted. But first and foremost, yeah. like it scratches the itch that metal is supposed to scratch, um, which is it's supposed to be intense and visceral yeah, yeah. and kind of get you to leave your body a little bit. And you know, 
it's the same standard I apply to all music. Like to me, it's a bonus if it's really smart. Um, yeah, no, no, totally. You know, you could listen to like, uh, like there's a lot of like contemporary, like modern jazz musician music out of New York that technically is really, really smart. Um, yeah, but just does not swing for a second. There's just you know isn't an yeah. ounce of personality or soul in it, and so who needs it? You know, I'd rather yeah, listen totally. to someone who, you know, is is bringing something a little more intense. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, but but no, but it's, yeah, but it's great like how all those things get put together. But like the more the more I think of it, like these days, like with certain musics, is kind of I don't know. It's not so much the genre, mm-hmm. really. Like you, you know, like the feeling you get from them. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You, you know, you know, like kind of, uh, or, or, or I don't know, just the idea of like, you hear how interested in sound people are, and you could like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm starting to really hear that kind of, you know, that how, yeah, I, d- I don't know, like, um, I don't know, someone, I don't know, for example, someone like Sam Amadon kind of thing, you know, like some uh-huh. of the music he makes is kind of like with a whole folky thing but then you could tell he's like really into like a lot of stuff as well you know it's funny sam's a friend of mine and the um the first time i saw him play live was a completely mind-blowing revelatory experience where like you know i was i saw i I was one of i think four people at the concert and to this day i still think like where did he come up with this crazy shit and i'm probably like semi misremembering it but Right. It was at the stone, uh, the original stone before it was at the new school when it was like, you know, this tiny little corner space. And <clears throat> he did a solo concert and the music was, you know, part folk music, part improvised noise stuff. But he did all this crazy stuff throughout the concert. At one point, he um, he had like a little tape recorder and he was recording part of the concert and then hitting play on it and you know, which is like, okay, whatever. And then at one point he went out onto the street on Avenue C and was playing outside. And then he would put the instrument down and sort of just like do this really weird dance around the room. (laughs) And at one point he started reading, um, from the confessions of, I think St. Augustine. I think it was, you know, it's just like, it was moment after moment of like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Yeah. That was a totally like eye opening experience of like, Oh, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the stone, where well, that used to be. Yeah, because uh-huh. I've been to New York once. Oh, wow. And I absolutely kicked myself. Like, I, I really regret not going to the stone when it was there. Could, yeah, I mean, yeah. did, did you did, did you go hear music? Uh, Yeah, so, so what was it? Because I was only there for a few days. I was, like, doing this project uh, with a bunch of poets. Uh-huh. So, so they, like, flew us over. But, yeah, but I didn't get to check out enough places, unfortunately. But, well, what did they have a stay in uh it was in soho uh-huh but uh but what did i do yeah because i didn't get much chance to check many things out but i went to le poisson rouge okay uh connie the street cafe yeah and <laughs> yeah, and yeah downtown music gallery as well oh yeah well there i mean that's like the real that's, yeah that's the one man but yeah like, i nearly lost the plot when i was there i was just like fuck i couldn't need, like probably buy every cd in the shop yeah <laughs> it's like you. you know yeah, it's like the sort of shit that I'm into, you know. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. like stuff you wouldn't find anywhere else in the world, I suppose. Mm-mm. Yeah, but um, yeah, but but so, so thinking. Um, so what what brought you to New York? Uh, I mean, you know, I when I was a little kid, I grew up 
you know, not far. I grew up like in the country, but only like um, about an hour north of the city. And in my mind, New York was just always the city. Right. Um, and, you know, I had a bunch of friends here and, and then it was the music, you know, it was like, I wanted to be around the stuff, the scene that was happening at that time. It, it was tonic was the, was the main space where it was all happening. Um, and you know, the second I touched down, I began going to tonic like every night. Um, the neighborhood that tonic was in is the neighborhood that I've lived in the entire time I've lived here, my whole adult life. Um, and it's just, yeah, my, my world became like consolidated very quickly. Uh, and you know, like I said, I've been in the same neighborhood for 18 years. Um, I met a lot of the same people like straight away that I'm still very close with. Uh, I've worked in this neighborhood most of the time. (laughs) Like it's, it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, so is that, that's in lower Manhattan, is it? Yeah. In lower Manhattan. Exactly. Oh right, oh cool. So that's um, yeah. So so I guess that's where Downtown Music Gallery is. Yeah, that's not far from it? here. Is that... uh, it's, it's like a fifteen minute walk from where I live. Oh right, sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah but I mean, I mean, just the history of the, I guess, like the Lower East Side as well. Oh, it's amazing. It's kind of... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I love the history of New York, and it's always been, you know, it's. I mean, it, it, it's these days, especially. Well, not. I mean, God, it's like now with this like coronavirus thing, not knowing how long this is gonna last, like. <laughs> It yeah, kind of yeah, feels yeah. like is it, I don't know how long this like maybe I was about to say you know these days New York feels less you know vital than it once did but these days yeah. as in like Corona days now like uh, yeah I don't know I got but yeah it's it's like there's you know I, I I feel very alive when I'm in places where like there's a deep sense of history and. You know, any t- any place I go where I spend, you know, a little bit of time that has a history to it, I immediately become, you know, like Los Angeles. I've become totally obsessed with Los Angeles once I began spending. Right, yeah. uh, or Paris, you know, I've, I've kind of begun to spend more time there. And, you know, like I, God, I won't be yeah. happy until like I know every street corner and kind of like, you know, what was there before. Sure, yeah, yeah. But, um, oh man, but have you, um, have you read that Beastie Boys book? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so, but isn't there a bit in that where they've got the map of like Manhattan as well? I think that sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I found that like really interesting. It's kind of like seeing all these like little points. Mm-hmm. But, uh, was it, I watching that, was some videos. Was that guy, uh, what band was he in? Cro-Mags, wasn't it? John Joseph. From, uh, yeah, from Cro-Mags. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah, but like, that, I don't know, like somehow got into like watching videos of him doing tours of like the Lower East Side. Okay. Like walking tours and just showing, showing all like the cr- like the old crime spots and kind of. Yeah, I mean the whole neighborhood was a crime spot. Yeah, but uh, but I find it fascinating. There's kind of because I guess it must have changed. Uh yeah, I mean it, yeah, it's changed a lot. Like you know you have to. You know I I don't know who can afford to live you know live around here anymore like as a new person like i'm I'm in a good situation you know i moved here a long time ago and like yeah you know i'm i'm not going anywhere because like i'm in a, like i said a good situation but um I, yeah if someone wanted to come start a new in this neighborhood i don't know like the only way you could do yeah. it is if you're some like ultra wealthy successful person which is not like a young artist necessarily totally yeah yeah, yeah. like um yeah, because I guess rent must be like ridiculous there, right? Kind of yeah. Really, like, I don't know. Maybe cor- maybe Corona is gonna adjust that for us. God, yeah. But um, yeah. So so when you arrived in New York, then so like, who were the type of people you were playing with? 
Uh, I mean, it took me a little while. I, um, you know, like I've always been pretty shy. I still am. Uh, um, uh, like the first people I started playing with, I started like answering ads, and then I began placing ads. Um, let me think about this. Like the first gig that I did, where like it felt like something, and I met other musicians that. You know, I I felt something with who happened to be people that I still play with now um, was playing with Butch Morris. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, and that was two thousand four, I think two thousand three, two thousand four. Um, uh, a guy here in New York had put together this like large ensemble of of young improvisers uh, for Butch to do. I think we did. We ended up doing over a year. We did over a dozen two do- a dozen two dozen concerts um but in that group i met you know nate woolley and i met oh, wow. Cr- chris hoffman and i met i met james ilgen fritz and um uh mike pride i think just like like a lot of like you know there's you know with any city like new york definitely you kind of have like different classes like you have like a high school you know and certainly yeah, yeah. like when I think about like my class, you know, the people that are all kinda around the same like me, um those people I just mentioned, and then, you know I I, I don't know how much we have in common outside of the fact that we're all the same age, but like me, Mary Halverson, Peter Evans, um, Tyshawn Sori, Mike Pride, like we're all like all within like a year of each other, you know, in age. Right, okay. Um, so, you know, that means we all kinda hit the city around the same time and you know, for a period of time, I th- you know, there was, you know, you know, I think at different periods of time, you just kind of end up playing a lot with certain people, and then maybe that, you know, you don't for a while, and then you do again. And I yeah, don't yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. That, like, thing of being, like, new to a certain scene. Uh-huh. Because I found that, like, first moving to London, uh, yeah, but you, when you get yourself in, like, weird musical situations. Sure. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't know how much, uh, if that happened much with you, I guess, but, like. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But, Plenty, plenty of them, plenty of them. Where it was like, you know, a lot of times it was like super discouraging because I didn't know any better. I didn't know, like, I would just say yes to everything, and um, so I'd end up in these musical situations that you know were her- horrific. You know, just like, and I would think I would feel really defeated. Like, God, you know, is this what this is what like I moved here to do? Is like participate yeah. in this? And I just didn't realize that no, you actually have to be selective and have ideas that you want to develop and then find the people that are going to help you develop them and form relationships with those people. You know, you can't just hop on and all of a sudden like, boom, you're going. So yeah, and, you know, that's, what, that's what, that's what some people call paying your dues. That's definitely one aspect of paying your dues is like playing in some really questionable situations. Totally. Yeah. Especially those ones. Yeah. Like so many of those dodgy gigs that did like, you know, when you kind of not sure if you're going to make the last train home, yeah i know plenty of those yeah yeah i, I did have done quite a few of those oh man it's, it's, it's so sketchy in it just like <laughs> you know yeah we we travel to the other side of the city to in like a fiver or a tenner or whatever you know to, yeah yeah <laughs> look, look you know look at your hand like with the money and afterwards it's just like oh god yeah pay double to that to not have done that gig mm-hmm. but it is paying your dues i guess isn't it it's um yeah it's absolutely it's what good. it is yeah. And it's just like, you know, for me anyway, I'm the kind of person that like 
it's not just a matter of like being inspired and and working on things that I know I want to work on. It's like I have to experience things to say, oh God, that's what I don't want, you know. Like yeah, I I I, I need to learn it both ways and. Um, yeah, I'm not. That 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 is, you know, that that's a lot of things. But yeah, I I I need to learn by doing things that I don't want to do, and know that like, that's not for me. So in terms of starting off, like playing with those people that you were wanting to play with, were you like forming groups and stuff? And yeah, projects I, or or just improvising mostly with them? Or yeah, I so I did. Um, the first group that I formed was with a couple of people that uh, responded to an ad that I placed on Craigslist and. We did maybe ten gigs. Uh, we all wrote a couple of tunes. Um, right. You know, it was. Yeah, that was like the first stuff I did in New York, and then through that gig with Butch, uh, I put together a trio with Chris Hoffman, who's a cellist, who to this day I do a ton of different stuff with, um, and a guy who played vibraphones called Nick Mancini. Okay. And we, we put together. He lives in L.A. now and does mostly like. Um, I think like more commercial stuff, but we put together uh, a trio. We did some just pure free improv, and um, and one day, I very short notice, I was like, "Hey, why don't you guys come over to my apartment? Let's record something." And we recorded for an afternoon. I had you know a couple mics set up, and I got like a really good recording out of it. And I sent it to a couple places, and straight away people were like, you know, because I'd gotten to know. Um, like I'd gotten to know John Zorn at that point, uh, pretty pretty casually, but er, but he was sort of like very early on. He was like, "Hey, if you ever need anything, like here's my contact info." Um, oh, great. Him and then this woman, uh, Suzanne Fiol, who sadly is no longer with us, but she started Issue Project Room, and um, I sent it to both of them, and right away Suzanne was like, "This is this is the music you should be doing here. You should do a gig at Issue Project Room." And same thing, Zorn had just opened the Stone, and he was like. Hey, there's a uh, an empty slot next month at the Stone. You guys should take it. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, and and that was you know super encouraging because right away, as soon as the three of us played together, it's like wow, this really this feels great. This feels like something I want to be doing. We're pure free improvisation, cello, vibraphone, clarinet. Yeah, and it just felt great right away. And and that band did um, probably a dozen gigs. I'm guessing, you know, right, um, but. It just it 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 was like a very like crystallizing experience for me of like okay you know like I can a lot a lot of the musical interests that I have um, as a listener and 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 as some as things that I want to explore in my practice like I could have them all in one place just filtered through the lens of improvisation. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that it stopped there like that I just want to do improvised music but as an improviser. I can really feel satisfied and bring in and 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 uh, incorporate these different ideas that are that are interesting to me. And yeah. improvisation oh, is just a vehicle. It's not like you know. It's not like I need to learn. I I love aggressive you know heavy metal music, so I need to learn how to play the guitar so I can do that. It was like no, I can take stuff from that and and yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. Oh great, yeah. So so did you ever record with that band? Well, yeah, that re- that recording that we made in my um in my bedroom back in two thousand five, I still got a co- I still have a copy of it somewhere. Yeah. All right, but you, but did, did I mean like did you release it at all? Though, yeah, I did. I did something like well. So I remember I I um had been making a, a record before that uh, on my own where I was playing all the instruments, 
And right. I, I sent it to Zorn, and he wrote back. He was like, this is really cool. You know, unfortunately, I can't release this on Zodic, but um, you should self-release it. Like, he's and and he was very encouraging of, like, if you if you can't find anyone to do your stuff, just, like, self-release it. It doesn't matter how many copies. And so we made, I think, like, I made by hand, I think, 25 copies of that um, thing with Chris and, and Nick, and I just kind of gave it out to people. Um, all right, cool. Yeah, like oh, like hand, like, like hand printed, and like I taped all this shit on it, and you know. So uh, the other project with Chris uh, was it Pale Horse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's with uh, was it with Brian Chase? Brian Chase plays drums. Um, Chris plays cello, and I play clarinet. Yeah, yeah, but but it's funny, like because yeah, I kind of yeah had to like double take it, like because I, I first heard of uh, no, because I obviously know about yeah yeah yeahs. Say that again, but because uh, I, I know of uh, yeah yeah yeahs and stuff. But uh-huh. when I first saw that, when I first saw, yeah, I think it's from when I first uh, listened to your podcast, like okay. hearing about Pale Horse and stuff, and just seeing that. I'm gonna that guy looks familiar on drums, it's kind of yeah. yeah 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 Brian yeah. But but yeah, but but the the idea of like living a double life, I found that quite interesting. Well, of. I don't think he, I, you know, it's Brian's a really close friend of mine, and I don't think he thinks of it that way. I mean, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, he. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for him, but he does music that he loves, you know. And the Yeah Yeahs is one example of that. And Drums and Drones is an example of that. And you know, he's I think fully aware that the average Yeah Yeah Yeahs fan, you know, isn't gonna you know be into a lot of the other stuff that he does um, sure, in yeah. the way that they are with Karen or something, you know. But yeah. it's not like you know he's got I, he's definitely got plenty. There's plenty of like. I think yeah, 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 super fans that are just on board with him and show him all the support that they can. Right. Uh, but I mean, no, no, he's you know he does he does a lot of stuff. We all do a lot of stuff. You know that is yeah it, for him it's pretty extreme because he'll play for fifty thousand people and then yeah. you know play for five people. Yeah, that, 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 that's the thing I find quite interesting. It's kind of like you know kind of that must be such a different like pretty humbling experience in terms of audience numbers. Yeah, yeah, but do you, do you ever get yeah 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 fans uh, coming to your shows then? No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. They, I mean, they know. It's just like, just like you know, I don't think uh, Bungle fans go to Trevor's shows. You know? No, no, that's true. I suppose, yeah. You know what although, I mean? Although, although it's quite funny. Um, oh, was it when that? Yeah, so when Trevor was over here, everyone was saying, but that gig I saw that the night before the Dan Weiss gig. But I remember there's a guy in a Bungle shirt there. Ah, uh-huh, sure. The gig, I was just like, oh wow, cool. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 pale horse. So, so that did that come shortly after that trio? No, that came years, you know, maybe ten years later. Um, that group started. There was a, there's a record label in um, in Belgium. I, I think I'm saying it correctly. M M Noad M Noad. It's M N O A D. And, okay. Uh, it's this, it's my friend Jerome. It's his record label. I don't think it's around anymore, but like super small, like they did. Um, they'll do like a hundred at the time. It was like a hundred hand printed copies of CDRs. This was two thousand thirteen, and he asked me to do something. And Chris and Brian and I had done some playing together. Um, and I had an idea for like a sound, like like a way of improvising. And I asked them, I was like, Hey, do you guys want to just get together, record for an afternoon, like with like a very specific way of improvising. Um, and you know, it'll be on this like super low pressure, um, like CDR release. And they were into it. 
And we did the session, and it just, like, the second I got home and, like, was listening back, I was like, no, this is something else. Like, not that my label was, like, such a huge step in, into, like, a larger direction, but immediately it was like, no, this is actually a band and a sound that I couldn't have imagined, and I'm just, like, so into You know, so, like, I, I did some other record for, yeah. for that label, um, and then with that, you know, I, I put a lot of time into sort of, like, developing the music and... We've made two records. We've done some shows, but not as much as as I would as I would like or would have liked. Um, you know, that's sure, one. Yeah, that's yeah. one of those. You know, everyone like that music. Yeah, it's. I guess it's pretty weird, but from I, I don't understand why. I'm gonna sound like an asshole, but like I feel like that band should have gotten like a little more response from people. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Because. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no, I was listening to a bunch of it. It's like, yeah, really yeah. cool. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, like the kind of sound world is in. Mm-hmm. So when you started, so so you started the label first before mm-hmm. the podcast. Yeah. So yeah, so the five or four nine records. Uh huh. And then yeah, so so I was just thinking um, when you started the podcast and what your motivation was when you first started it. I don't even remember. I mean, I remember when it was. I. I it actually, it's funny. I went on Facebook yesterday, and you know they'll remind you of like memories. Oh yeah, I, it reminded me uh, a couple of days ago. It put up this the, the very first podcast episode was recorded like exactly seven years ago, oh, yesterday wow. or the day before or something. Uh, Amazing. I mean, I, you know, I I just like I've I've been listening to podcasts since like two thousand eight or something, two thousand seven. Like I got on to, into that world like very quickly. Um, and I still listen, you know, I listen to less podcasts than I used to. And I only, there's only a few that I really enjoy listening to anymore. Um, but yeah, I guess it's kind of like when you, like anything that you're into, you know, for me anyway, like I, after, at a certain point, like I want to, um, engage with whatever it is, you know, that's, that's certainly the thing with like music and, and, you know, there's, you know, in New York, like, or everywhere, but like, you know, you play gigs and afterwards you know you're hanging out and it's always you know the hang that is like really beneficial or you know you go on tour and like the conversations you have you know in between you know gigs yeah so that was sort of like the idea was to like sit down with another musician and kind of have that type of hang and not like very early on i was very cognizant of not wanting the conversation to necessarily go in any specific direction or have any specific outcome but more just like the thing of like two people like hanging out, drinking coffee, you know, talking shit, really. For sure, yeah, yeah. No, because I guess it's quite tough one, isn't it? But um, but I've always wondered that, like, with um, whether to try and record conversations, but while like you know the drives to gigs and stuff. Yeah. You know, like, because that that's where it feels like you know, it's good stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah, it could feel a bit of a not sterile environment, but yeah, you know, right. Kind of need the agenda sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like this, but yeah, but, but it's cool though. It's kind of, uh, yeah, it gives the chance to ask questions that you wouldn't necessarily ask in conversation. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, but man, yeah. So that's such a commitment. So you're doing every week. I haven't done one for, for no- eight months or something like that. Man. Yeah. yeah, but but uh, but I mean, the idea of like how how you're on top of it, like releasing a podcast every week, is yeah. Of- I mean, that that's just like. As I understand, I mean, that's just like, and again, this is coming from the perspective of someone who listens and listened to a lot of podcasts. Like, 
true podcast culture, you know, is at yeah. minimum once a week. And so that's like that's not to say that I mean that that's what the culture of podcasting is. That's how you engage an audience and that's just like Yeah. You know, and if you don't do it once a week, it's like it's something else, you know, but podcasting is like part of like what's built into it is that you know, it's not just like a preserved conversation. I mean, you know, some podcasts are a little more like the term is evergreen, which I can't stand. But like, if you listen to something like right. Serial, it's like you sh- you'll be right. able to listen to that again <clears throat> in a few years and have like pretty much the exact same experience that you had listening to it when it first came out. But if you listen right. to any uh, podcast that's based around conversation, um, it, it, it timestamps itself pretty quickly. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah. But, yeah. But no, but I haven't said that, but like listen to like some of yours. Because I mean, there must be a few I've listened to like three or four times. Okay, as well, which is yeah, but but it's great, you know, when you kind of like uh, I don't know, it feels like kind of a encyclopedia sometimes, you know, when you like, yeah, well, and that's trying I to mean, find a little bit of information and you kind of go go back to that certain episode. Well, that's sort of like for me, like there's um, this is gonna seem like kind of like a reach, but there's this this shop that opened up in my neighborhood, this wine shop that some friends of mine opened. And I was like super excited because, you know, I love these guys and they're really smart about food and wine. And I walked into the shop and the room was like, um, like, you know, like, like some certain boutiques, they have this vibe where like you walk in and there's like nothing in the store. There's like 12 items and each item is oh, like yeah. super curated and expensive. And they'd done that with their wine shop. And right away I went up to them. I was like, guys, what the fuck? Like, I'm so much more into the vibe of like, I want to go into like, like in California, there's a store called Amoeba Records, which is oh, literally, yeah, yeah. you know, millions of, of copies of something. You know, like you just go in and it's more shit than you know what to do with. You just, there's no way. And that's kind of like the vibe that I'm into. I, I want, I wanted to create this thing where like you open up, you know, the podcast and it's just hundreds and hundreds of hours of, you know, that you have whenever you want it. I, I, yeah, I definitely totally. that's more like my vibe and my aesthetic and 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 being conscious of that I was like okay I do, it doesn't need to be flashy there will be lots of I, I accept that there will be a good amount of fat on everything you know like I'll do my best to make sure that the audio sounds good and that it's reasonably concise in presentation but for the most part I wanted it to be sort of like a zine you know where like yeah it was recorded yesterday you're hearing it today it's a little rough around the edges and you know there's a lot of it. For sure, but no, that's great though. It's uh, you be a bit. I think those are some of my favorite episodes. You know, the ones that run for like a couple of hours, even. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, oh, I was saying like the Ruben Radding and Ted Reichman one. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't even, ones. I I haven't listened to those since those went up. So I don't even like remember what we talked about. But yeah, yeah, but but I mean, just like just the ways the conversations go, you know. It's yeah, like, yeah. But that's incredible. But um, yeah. But but, dude, I was really glad when you bought it back again. Yeah, 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 yeah. After yeah. that break, yeah, yeah, that was that was great. I felt, yeah, great, great, to, great to hear it again. Because I guess because mm. with that second run you did, that was it was better over a hundred episodes. Yeah, it? It, it was uh, like a hundred and thirty, hundred and fifty, something like that. Yeah, yeah, Man, yeah. It was more amazing, this. Yeah. It was more the second time around than the first. That I know. Yeah, yeah. So. So what what brought you back to doing it? Were you kind of, um, I guess like a number of things. Like at the time when I stopped doing it, it was just like some stuff was going on in my life that really required a lot of attention. Like, um, yeah, 
you know, like life difficulties. Uh, but then also feeling at the time a little bit bitter about certain stuff. And that, that's my main memory of why I chose not to do it. Um, right. and then some time passed and things got a little more grounded again. And again, I was actually, I was like, look, I feeling like I wanted to spend more time in the world of music entirely. So not just like playing, but talking to people again and yeah. I just, I didn't just one day. I, I just, I thought to myself, like, oh, I don't like, why not start it again? Doesn't have to even be like a big conversation. And I sent an email to, um, like five people. Said, hey, you know, you want to do this? And like immediately, everyone wrote back, and I was like, cool. So you know, Ken Vandermark was uh, the first one, and um, yeah, so that just felt like good straight away. It's like Ken Vandermark, you know, yeah, this is you know somebody I would have loved to have had on the first time. Totally, yeah, yeah, oh, amazing, yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, but that's amazing they picked it up, yeah, cause, yeah, because usually I kind of feel a bit burnt out with the whole podcasting thing sometimes. It's just mm-hmm. like you know, it's kind of keeping on top of it amongst everything else. And I mean, honestly, I would love. I I actually hold on. I gotta plug my phone in. It's getting a little. Um, oh, Shavan. I I would actually love to start a, another podcast. Like the reason I'm not podcasting now is because of the subject itself, not the act of podcasting. Right, sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, I, I actually, I have a couple of friends that, you know, we have like a pretty amazing conversation going and we're, we're always like, dude, this should be a fucking podcast. Uh, but just whatever. It's like, we're not comedians. We're not social thinkers. We're not theorists. You know, like we don't right. really yeah. have any business doing that. Um, but yeah. Oh, cool. So, 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 is that with like musician friends, or is it with? Uh, yeah, it's it's me and a friend of mine who, who is a musician, and we do play together. But you know, the conversations that we have are that I'm talking about, where we're like, "Damn, this should be a podcast." Like, it's not. It's very rarely about music. Right. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. But yeah. But but no. But it's it great. The one you put up the other day was it the one with Nate? With Nate. Yeah, and that was recorded. That you know, that was recorded last summer and was supposed to be like a regular episode, and then. I kind of had like a little bit of a breakdown, uh, and I right. get I, I put it up for um, Patreon subscribers, and so, you know you guys can have this. But I, with this coronavirus thing and everyone being trapped inside, you know, it, it just felt like a nice gesture to. I, I knew that people would appreciate it um, to have something to, to to listen to right now. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, but man, but that's amazing run though, like two hundred and sixteen episodes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck, that's mad. Yeah. Kind of imagine that at the beginning, kind of <laughs> right to record that many episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I actually, well, honestly, I thought there would be. You know, that was another reason why, like, I, I kind of like, more recently stopped doing it. Is that, um, the, the, I, I'm trying to say this without sounding like a jerk, but like, I didn't see a lot of growth happening in that. Like, there sure. were some, there were people that I wanted to talk to who, like, you know, we were trying to line it up, um, and it didn't quite work out or people that you know i want to talk to that just never you know responded to me and it was like well if this isn't going in a direction that um it's not getting bigger it's not getting better then like that's then whatever then i don't need to keep doing this totally yeah yeah no okay yeah definitely yeah yeah because i I sort of think that sometimes you know when you kind of like trudge along doing something putting loads of work in yeah and then the yeah, the stuff that comes back, unfortunately, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but no, yeah, I guess that, yeah, that could apply to a lot of things as well. Because I definitely had that. But yeah, because tell you what, the thing I find sometimes with it as well is like the identity that's given with it. I suppose mm-hmm. you know, like uh, if people would forget that you're a musician. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That kind of thing, and it just feels like, oh, hang on, this is like, there's all these other things going on, you know? Yeah, I, you know, that's definitely the case. I, I, I think in this very small world of music, probably more people know me from the podcast than my own music, and that's fine. I don't care. I, I actually, I thought that would have bothered me. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it would bother me um, if. Yeah, no, it doesn't bother me. Like, there are certain people nice. like that they interviewed that you know, like I just I think back, I'm like, why did I call that person up? Like, I don't, I'm not even interested in what they do, and I and the reason I would even think that to myself is like I got some like weird response from their fans, you know. Uh, oh, really? It was, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't, I, I could never, I just, I, I don't know, like, I, I could never understand why someone would get upset about, like, if you're a fan of somebody. Wouldn't you want to hear them in a conversation or an interview that's like unlike anything they've ever done before? Totally, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. like a little bit weird, and you're kind of hearing them talk about different shit than you know what you expect from them. But like, mm. cer- yeah, certain people, um, I would get responses from from like their fans, and I just I was really shocked by like some of the vitriol that I would get from time to time. Oh wow! Like, like, what what sort of things would you get then? Was it just like? Uh, I mean, the the most, and, and he knows about it, and he and I talked about it, but um, the the episode with Trace Bruins was far and away, like, I, the blowback that I got from that was astounding. Wow. Okay. Astounding. <laughs> like, like, like some, like, you know, severely, like, autistic Bungle fans somewhere who were not happy that I would have, they were unhappy about the fact that it was a conversation, not just me asking a question and then him giving the answer, but the fact that it was a conversation really upset some some very really? damaged people. Oh, man. <laughs> or, you know, like I did one with, um, what's that guy's name? Uh, with uh, this piano player, Ethan Iverson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I didn't know anything about this guy's music. And, and all of a sudden after that, I was, I was getting all these emails from these like, these jazz people trying to, you know, hawk me to get, and like, it was very clear that like, they knew nothing about me and what it is that right. I do. Uh, and so, you know, that would irritate me sort of, you know, like, why are you, why, they don't even see me as being like, they didn't see the difference in what I'm doing and just some like boring interview and downbeat or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But, um, yeah. But, but no, that's a good episode, that one with Ethan Iverson. Yeah. It was, it was a little, it was a little weird. Yeah. But, but yeah. I found it interesting kind of, I could hear the, not the tension exactly, but it's kind of uh was there a bit he's talking about how why he broke away from the band. Uh huh. And what was he saying? But yeah, it's just funny hearing someone being kind of like, uh Yeah, that's the best thing for both of us. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was weird. I you know, I, I never I never listened to that band until um the morning that he came over to like kinda of get a sense of, of who I was talking to and uh Right. Yeah, that was that was a fun one. Yeah, yeah, but that was a good one. That's, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I did find it. Yeah, but but the, those bits of tension, I, I think it was great. Yeah, yeah, that, that you there. captured those. Yeah, but it's a great podcast, though, man. Thank Absolutely you. Lived it. I think it was, it was probably the reason why I'm doing these ones as well. Yeah, yeah. So, How's it going for you? Stolen. Yeah, I hope I haven't stolen too much no? of your thing with this. <laughs> are you Are you enjoying it? Are you, Are you able to? Are you talking to a lot of people that you want to talk to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, that that's the whole thing with with it. It's like I'm. 
only talking to people I'm interested in talking to. Good. And because I've had some people kind of ask to be on it. Mm-hmm. Like, so some I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. I was like, I was half thinking of asking that person anyway. Mm-hmm. But then, you you know, when you get other offers and it feels like, oh, hang on, would this be like a genuine conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, other, other than you, like, there's some people who'd be asking like, um, oh, yeah, maybe you should get this person on and do this kind of format with it. And it's like, oh, dude, come on. This is like, yeah, you know, this is no, no one's asking me to do this, you know. It's right, kind of, right, right. It's kind of a hobby, you know. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand why, why more people don't, you know, do this. kind. Or a friend of mine just started um, a YouTube channel and he posts videos, you know, like once a week or something of him just like sharing his ideas. And it's great. I watch every one as it comes out. But I, yeah, I don't understand why more um, more people don't do this kind of thing, whether it's a podcast, a YouTube channel, um, something that is, you know, it's it, it, like the way of like uh, releasing music nowadays is so strange like so this you were asking me about this solo record i made cathedral so that record was is literally uh a collection of solo pieces that i've i've made over the last couple years that were honestly the idea was i have another record that i've actually you know that i've been busting my ass on um and i was gonna what i was gonna do was in setting up the pre-sale for this other record the first uh, 50 people that ordered it, I was going to give that the record Cathedral as a bonus. I was actually going to print copies right. of it. I was going to do 50 hand-signed copies as a bonus. And uh, last Friday, as I was sitting in my house, like realizing that, like, oh, shit, like, I'm indoors now, like, indefinitely. I just dropped Friday night, like, almost midnight. I just put it on Bandcamp and put a note on Twitter and Facebook and said, hey, here, enjoy a new solo album. I... Dude, that that record has already been downloaded infinitely more than my other stuff. Really? With oh, wow. zero promotion, zero anything. Not, I, I, first time, I've, you know, I haven't even printed anything. And so that, that just tells me that it's like, okay, it's time to stop thinking about, like, you know, work for two years on a record, build up all this shit behind it, get, you know, if you want, maybe pay a bunch of money to get someone to, to try and promote it for you and... Yeah, and, and and hope you release it at the right time under the right circumstances, and maybe some promoter will get in touch, and all you know, just this gigantic like balloon that you blow up, you know, in the hopes that this 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 act of music, which is you know by its nature this very ephemeral thing, that yeah. you somehow like take that ephemeral nature away from it and turn it into like a big concrete thing. And I, I love my favorite part of making music is making records always has been um and i'm mm. always going to put a lot of time into my records but the point is like literally friday night putting it on bandcamp and saying here i hope you guys enjoy it pay what you can like yeah that that's it was straight away and like every single day i'm getting like dozens and dozens of downloads it's insane that's great wow but um yeah because because it's interesting with that yeah it's like how it's all working out with uh yeah with albums I don't know, it's like, yeah, like how the music promotion thing, I guess like, you know, the big thing with people talking about like the whole Spotify playlists things uh-huh. and just, I mean, there's like countless YouTube videos about those kind of things, isn't there? Kind of how to get featured on those lists and then, but yeah, but just the idea of like dropping these things as well and how they could be successful. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's improvised music. Like, you can only polish it yeah. up so much, you know? And, like, I've, I've, I had a conversation with some friends the other day. We're putting out a record together, and and they were mentioning this, like, well, we got to, you know, set it up so that it could be featured in these, like, playlist things. And it's like, it's not even something I really have ever thought about or know about. And, yeah. you know, if, if there, I don't know, is there an openness in that stuff to, to people like us? Like, are there Spotify what? playlists for people that make, like, very inaccessible music? Well, it's, it's weird. What I've noticed is, like, everyone I know... Yeah, because I, cause I guess I'd split my time between like, the whole jazz thing and the more improvised music thing, but... Yeah. It's weird. The, the more jazz thing, they'd be kind of looking more into the whole streaming kind of things. Sure. Because I don't know if that's how they, like, consume music. And then people on the more kind of improvised music side, you know, they'd be kind of more completist, collectors kind of folk, you know? Right. So like, um, yeah. So so like everything would be like centered around Bandcamp and and you know they'd be like doing all their CDs DIY kind of thing mm-hmm. and putting cassettes and stuff out. So yeah, but it's, it's quite interesting how those two worlds collide. Or no, not collide, but kind of how there's that split. I mean, yeah. In the middle, yeah. It's kind of it's hard to know what to do with it because I know there's, uh, isn't it that label? Is it um? Out of your head records, it's like a Adam Hopkins. Uh huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, like, but what I've noticed, what they seem to do, what I've seen is like they've just put one tune on Spotify, like the the kind of single kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Then the whole album's on Bandcamp for people to actually buy. Huh. That's an idea. Which, yeah, which I I quite like the idea of that, but it's uh yeah, but I don't know. It's like what I don't know what the right or wrong way is, kind of you know, like because. Anything I've put out on streaming, you know, I'd be getting like I don't know one pound fifty for like yeah, that. yeah. And yeah, then yeah. you know, but just the idea of like busting your ass like to make this music, put it out there. You know, it's funny. I'm like I'm thinking out loud now. Like I'm what I'm saying. I'm not really saying as a statement, maybe as much as a question. But you know, my my thinking um, for the last several years as I'm like self releasing is like, oh, this music has to be on Spotify and Apple Music. If you want people to hear it, it has to be at those places because that's where people hear music. And, you know, this experience that I just described to you about releasing this record this last week, I don't know that it... I mean, this is music for the few. It's not music for the many. And while I love that friends of mine who are not in the music world, you know, coworkers and family and friends and shit, they can go into the service that they use and say, oh, there's there's my friend, Jeremiah, there's my, you know, and check it out. I think I'd rather just have it in Bandcamp and the people that want to hear it actually have to pony up a little bit and do it. Totally, yeah, yeah. Because I guess, yeah, the people who are going to get it from Bandcamp are the ones that are genuinely going to yeah go check it out. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know. But then invested I, in the music. Yeah, but maybe like I shouldn't be sticking to them. I don't know. It, what I do know is that I put up a record last week uh, just like I said, put it up and it's done better than anything I've done in the last, you know, several years where like I put a lot more, um, sort of infrastructure behind it. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. But that, that's great though. Yeah. 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 But, but I, I guess it's like a thing of always like building on an audience, I suppose, isn't it? Cause I guess like maybe on the strength of the whole podcast thing as well, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Like I guess so. Aware. Yeah. But uh, yeah, because to be honest, I don't think I would would have like ever heard your music unless I kind of saw saw you know like Chris Bead interview kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. That's... So you've got uh, th- what's the other record you're working on at the moment? 
Oh, right. So three. I have three records that are in the can, and they're now that this coronavirus thing is happening, it's a little trickier. I don't know. You know, the original plan was to make physical copies of all of them. I I don't know that that's still going to be the case, uh, given you know that I have to reallocate my money a little bit differently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But the first record is um, uh, a piece for four clarinets, two percussionists, and electronics. Okay. Um, yeah, and that's a piece. You know, we performed it live a couple of times uh, at Roulette and at Firehouse Twelve and at the Stone, um, and that's something I've worked on, been working on for years. And is really, really like probably the most unusual thing I've ever done. Like it's totally alien, uh, like like stream of consciousness, like totally bizarre music. Um, and I'm really psyched for people to hear that. And then uh, another record is the second record by this trio I have uh, <clears throat> with Toby Driver and um, Mario Diaz de Leon called Blood Mist. That's finally done. Um, and then a duo record that I made with my friend Charlie Looker, who's a guitar player, composer. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And those are all done. Those are all in the can. Oh, amazing. So so do you like mix and master them yourself? Uh, not mastering, mixing. Uh, the Well, so the, the record system of Mundi Totius, which is the thing with the four clarinets and drums, I record... I, I played all the clarinet parts. I recorded all of it. I recorded the drums. I play a lot of the drums myself. Oh, wow. Uh, Brian Brian Chase is playing the rest of the drums. Um, that I recorded and mixed. Uh, that's mastered by James Plotkin. And then the other two records were recorded in studios, and, and I mixed them at home. Right, okay. So, all right, so, so did you record the four clarinets one at home? Uh, in various places, in my yes, in mostly in my house, and then all the drums. Brian now has a home studio, and we recorded a bunch of stuff over there. Oh wow, amazing! Yeah, yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah but no, that, no, because I remember you mentioning that before, like in other conversations. Yeah, but that mm-hmm. that seems really exciting. That music. Yeah, it's fucking bizarre. Oh, wicked! Yeah, I'm not looking forward to yeah. hearing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. killer. Uh, yeah, but but no, it's always funny like putting records out as well. I suppose because yeah. But with this whole thing that's happened now, the whole coronavirus is like, yeah, because I've got one in the can and it's knowing what to do with it is kind of. It was, I mean, we'll see. You know, they, they keep. They, we don't know how long this is going to last. They, they're saying, you know, it could be two weeks, could be a year and a half. Um, yeah. But certainly, like you know, something that's come up a lot in 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 the last, you know, five ten years is that like you okay, you make a CD, you make a piece of vinyl, and like in doing so, you've actually limited. You've actually made it harder for people to hear the music. You know, I, my friend Ignacio, I was talking to him, and he was like, "Man, I want to check out your stuff." And I was like, "All right, I'm gonna bring you a stack of shit." And you know, and he's like, "Don't." He's like, "I don't have any way to listen to it." Yeah, so yeah. Just yeah. you know, and so while before that was just like this thing that kind of bothered me, like as an ex- existential problem. Now I'm like, oh, like I'm straight up like making it harder for people to hear this by producing it physically. People are at home and they need stuff that they can download um, or stream or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's even a weirder thing now, isn't it? Like with, I don't know if people are actually downloading stuff as much anymore. Just oh, the streaming. Idea of streaming is like, I don't know. Because yeah. cause only recently I've got into like, got Apple Music on my phone and it's like. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fantastic. That, yeah. So it's just like really handy to have everything there, but then I do feel a bit bad. It's like the only stuff. 
music I'd really buy now is stuff that I can't get hold of on Apple Music. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, you know, people. I, I still buy um, a lot of Blu-rays and DVDs, and. I mean, with Blu-ray specifically, the quality of the image is really, really spectacular. Um, but, you know, people come over to my house and they see that I have, like, tons and tons of, like, Blu-rays and DVDs. And people kind of, like, poke fun at me or whatever. Like, and it's, like, it's not the format that I'm interested in. It's the selection. And a lot of this, most of the shit that I have, like, you cannot find. It's definitely not on some dumbass streaming service like Netflix or, or Amazon. They're, they don't have this stuff on there. And it's, so it's not, like, like, if... Uh, for I feel very I feel bad for people who limit um their they limit their appetite for creative materials to services like Amazon and and Spotify. I mean, like that's not who you should be looking to to guide your choices. And the amount of incredible stuff that does not exist in those places, it's like you by not seeking that stuff out and just relying on, you know, again, um Amazon or whatever, like god, that's gross. That's like yeah, it's my thing. It's like getting all your food from the same grocery store, no matter how shoddy it is. Oh god, yeah, that's true, man. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, there is so much shit out there. Yeah, yeah. Like actual shit. Yeah, and I and I and I just I have no whatever like the stuff that 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 the the biggest you know stuff on there. I I just don't have any interest in it. Whatever it is, you know. Yeah, no, like, totally. That shit. But uh, but I've seen the thing was it uh, recently um. Oh, people are trying to find like the best streaming services for like weird films and stuff. Criterion. Oh, maybe not. I can't, I can't remember. That's There's the best one. one. What was it called again? The Criterion Channel. Okay, cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Cause, I, cause, highly recommend it. Because I remember like years ago trying to find like, I don't know, a way of like streaming Twin Peaks without having to buy the DVD, you know, like signing up to yeah. Netflix. And then it's like, yeah, yeah. What the fuck is not there? It's like, cultural yeah i mean li- licensing get gets weird with all that stuff but uh the criterion channel i can't recommend enough you know and okay. it's like if i think if you subscribe for the year it's like 80 dollars. you know otherwise it's like 12 bucks a month and you know they just it's the criterion collection all streaming it's amazing okay brilliant yeah yeah and then yeah but then yeah i don't know it's, it's funny just seeing all these threads of like things people are checking out with this whole uh, lockdown situation, you know, like different streaming yeah. platforms. Yeah. But but no, there's like, uh, there's a stand-up comedy streaming platform as well, which I didn't really know that there was you a thing that. about that before, which is which yeah. quite cool. But, but it's, like, it's like the kind of more underground kind of people you wouldn't know about as well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, dude, um, thanks so much for doing the podcast, man. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks Absolute for having me. hero. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for coming on it. Thanks for joining in and listening and hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And yeah, we'll see you next time. <laughs>